At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. I also think it's fulfilling. I think women want to do something that's meaningful. And so I think this is a very rewarding career. We have a little disclaimer to add to this podcast. Charlotte Galecka is a registered representative and offers securities and advisory services through Lincoln Financial Advisors, a broker dealer and member of Civic and a registered investment advisor. Hello, and welcome to Financials Podcast Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am here with my guest today, Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on. Um, as our listeners know, I've been featuring some really badass female financial advisors. So I'm excited to talk about your career and share your history. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit of your background? Okay. Well, uh, I am also a CFP. Um, so and I'm the owner and managing partner of Silver Penny Financial Planning. You can look us up or on all the platforms. And my background is actually started um, in an insurance company a long time ago. And then I worked for a 401k company. Um, and I was an enroller, essentially helping people to choose their 401k. And I know this is hard to believe, but before you just did it online, you used to go into like a big room and there'd be somebody there that would be educating you. So you just didn't like, you know, you have the like sweaty palms when you're like, oh my gosh, which allocation should I pick? Um, we would actually kind of go in, give a presentation and then sit down with you and help you choose what would be the most appropriate for you. And I was super young when I did that. Um, so I was helping people figure that out when I myself didn't fully understand like probably what was the best course forward. But I took um, a bunch of tests and licenses and started doing that. And then I decided I didn't want to be necessarily just like a quick transactional mm-hmm. type of arrangement with people, but that I wanted those meaningful relationships that you saw on TV. Like, you know, it's like the wedding and then the person who's like, oh, the financial advisor is like at the wedding. And so I wanted to be um, more intimately involved in people's financial lives for the long haul. So did you, like when you came out of college, you were like, I want to go into some financial role. You just like weren't sure which way? Or... No, I have a degree in Spanish and one in communication. Oh. So I have two degrees and I was going to um, go work in business communication somehow internationally using Spanish um, or be a flight attendant. None of that happened. I was in college during September 11th and I graduated in 03, which is after um, there was a huge tech bubble, right? Mm-hmm. So right when I graduated, jobs were very hard to come by. And um, 
I mean, most of the people that I graduated with, and I graduated some very smart people from an engineering school, did not have jobs coming out. Yeah. And so a large insurance company is like, do you want to be a claims adjuster? I'm like, sure, great. Sounded like a great job. So I sat in a cubicle, very much like office space. Have you ever seen that movie? The guy across from me was named Milton. And I was like, wow, my life is starting, but yet it feels over at the same time. Yeah, so I sat in a cubicle and just helped people determine who was at fault in accidents. And it was not fun. Oh, gosh. Because half of everybody I had to talk to hated me because I have to tell them, like, hey, it's not your fault. We can't pay for the damage. So it took me about 15 months to get out of that. And then the next kind of jump was, well, oh, because you have some background why don't you work for, um, and also taught spinning, which I love. This was way before Peloton. Um, so I taught spinning and people in my spin class were like, oh, you're so good at sales. You should be in sales. And then one of them actually worked for a company that was a 401k company. And so they uh, helped. Okay. And also, there. you know, be remiss without saying that my father's a financial advisor, but I was never going to do what he did. Never. Um, little did I know in a different state, I was slowly walking my way into that path. <laughs> I think that's really ironic because if you had asked me post-college if I was going to do what my dad was going to do I was like absolutely not I will never do what my dad because I yes now do what I, my dad did does yes. or did yes it's ironic same, same. my dad doesn't I, do it anymore either hard it was a hard no I was a summer intern I hated it um I was never gonna do it so I started to walk parallel in different mm -hmm. things and then realized my skills, talents, and interest. And then I quickly learned at the insurance company, it didn't matter how hard I worked, I made the same money every single week. And I think there's an entrepreneur that's always been inside of me and my heart. I always want to uh, learn more, strive more, do more. You know, that's just part of my makeup. And mm -hmm. so it became frustrating to me that effort wasn't rewarded right um, mm -hmm. right didn't matter if you went in and drank coffee all day or if you went in and worked your tail off there was no difference in your in your income and it it was difficult for me to be around people that were okay with that and they just didn't mm -hmm. have the same kind of like drive and so it was a combination of several things but I knew that big environment was not for me um, ironically part of my story actually has to deal with the fact that I was at, I wanted a promotion at that company and it was actually another female who denied me that position. And so that was my first example as a very young uh, woman in business that women don't, back in the day, I think things have changed, didn't always help each other. That burned me really bad. That was difficult for me. And that was the moment where I was like, you know what? I want to be in charge. I, at some point, I want to be in a situation where it is the decisions that I make that affect the career trajectory. Mm -hmm. And so I say that combination and also made a vow that I wanted to help other women at that point, because that was the early career burn that was a blessing in disguise. Because had she given me that job, I might be sitting at a boring insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. funny when you, when you look back, you're like, even though it taught you a valuable lesson, right? That, and I experienced that as well. Sometimes women are the worst in corporate environments, like not your advocate, like your biggest enemy, a terrible lesson to learn, but yes, yeah. you couldn't and be sitting in an insurance company now. Yeah, this is almost 20 years ago. Like oh, I, when wow. I look, so the world was different um, for women. And, but the funny thing is we were taught, I mean, I grew up with like business Barbie. So I thought that women could do anything and the glass ceiling had already been shattered. And so that was a very big surprise 
you know, to get in the workforce and mm-hmm. to have that happening. So yes, that's a long version of how I ended up, you know, then the 401k situation. And that was fun because we got to travel. So we would travel to the 401ks, various, like they did a lot of hospitals, they did some hotels, entertainment, and a bunch of people in their 20s would all be dropped off and we would help people 10 hours a day in like a hospital cafeteria signing up for the 401k and then we would go out all night and it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then how did you transition from the 401k company in, it was the next step into private wealth? So I had some life changes around that time. I had worked on the, um, part of that company also serviced the North Carolina state pension opt-out plan. Oh, wow. Okay. And so in the state of North Carolina, professors could choose whether they're going to go into the pension or what's called a 401a, which is a, a technical pension situation. Um, and I did that for a while. And then after that, I got married and um, decided I want to be an advisor. So it was time to make a transition. There was a place in Atlanta close to my family that the one of the advisors was retiring. I could be like an associate, sort of like a mm-hmm. learning kind of advisor. That was in the great year of 2007. That was a fun year. Uh, I became a financial advisor in 2007. The timing wasn't great on that. <laughs> no, I would like to give that girl a hug. The next two years was a trial by fire. And when I tell you the phones, this was also the time when the phones like would ring and you just answer them. Very different. Another concept, like if, you know, if my child right now had a phone, the funny thing is when you go to a hotel room with children, like my son just like picks up the phone and picks up it because they've never seen a phone in a, in their house. Yeah. But the phones would ring, 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 ring. And, you know, I just have to pick it up. I think I was 27, 28, mm-hmm. um, no, 26, 26, 27, pick up the phone and people will be crying. People will be upset. People will be angry. And this just went on for, um, it was a very long, yeah, you, you lived it. Yeah. Um, and so we told people like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So you learn, very early in my experience in the insurance company dealing with the general public and um, just kind of people's like raw emotions and dealing with mm-hmm. so many people so fast kind of prepped me for that. But in reality, there's nothing that can prep you for that. Um, and so I just did it, you know, like we all kind of worked. I, I don't think I made that much money, but I wasn't necessarily in a situation where I had to get a lot of clients. I was more in a servicing kind of financial advisor mm-hmm. role. There were some 401k, um, there was some like institutional kind of uh, businesses that I would also, that was also part of my job is I would go once a week to service the hospital and for three There was um, employer sponsor plan as part of that firm. What was your biggest takeaway? So I worked through 2007, 2008. I worked on the institutional side, so it's very different, but like our clients were going at a business left and right because it was dealing with hedge funds. So they- they were just disappearing, <laughs> going out of business, which was terrible. So as a salesperson, I couldn't do anything because my job was to sell the hedge funds and they were just trying to hang. A lot of them went out of business. Some of them were trying to hang on, but they definitely didn't need me to sell them anything at that moment. So it was an awkward time to be a salesperson because you can't call people that are in distress, right? And say, hey, I have yeah. software, an algorithm. They don't care about it. They're trying to survive. Um, but I didn't work it from a retail standpoint, right, from dealing with the consumer. What was your biggest takeaway from working through that with consumers? Because we're, oh we're going gosh. through another, we're going through another tough time now, right? 
so are. it's a very people are also very yeah yeah I think the the tough thing too at that was um that people's emotional relationship to their money is greater than they'll ever tell you until it gets tested mm-hmm. and so um, behavioral finance has always been an interest of mine, but that was what I would call, <clears throat> that was like learning behavioral finance and like through the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and because we did the employer sponsor side, there'd be a lot of people that you wouldn't have that like financial plan or intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. So it'd be very transactional emotion. Like I'm upset. I've lost all this money. And I also learned that people's understanding of the bigger, longer picture wasn't there. Now, economically that time period of like losing houses and there was other things right mm-hmm. that were going on it, so it's hard to talk about it in an isolated retail how they felt about that because usually that was just a data point to something else that was going on mm-hmm. like losing a job or you know losing a house or at risk or underwater or, you know so so it was just very people were grasping people were desperate um I think the lesson that I learned too, I kind of promised myself when that happened again, because it's pretty clear if you choose this as a, as a career, it's not if, but it's when. And Mm -hmm. so I said, when that happens again, I will get a therapist for myself because I didn't at that time. And it was such a stressful, like you tell everyone it's going to be okay. You're the emotional support. And then what happens is you drive away after eight to 10 hours of doing that and it collapses on you emotionally. And so it created a lot of anxiety for me. I now know what that is. You know what I mean? I now kind of yeah. understand it and, and feel it and um, can recognize, you know, and also I've done a lot of research study and work on money as energy and mm-hmm. behavioral finance and how we kind of feel. So I got myself educated on how people would react a little bit better. I took a great class last year, um, financial therapy. Yeah, I just, I found a financial therapist like, hey, can you give me, uh, four or five classes that I can better understand my clients, what they're going through, things that I can say, things that I can help think through, like mm-hmm. empathy training. There's a lot of things I learned, but that's incredible yeah, like, because a lot of people yeah. got knocked out of the industry then. Like I've talked to yeah. many people who said, Well, I was an advisor. I used to be an advisor. And I'd be like, Well, why aren't you anymore? And like even just recently, I heard, Well, you know, I started my career and you know, 2006 or 2005, and I didn't, you know, didn't survive 2007, 2008. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason that I, sh- I had some um, privileges and advantages. I was married. And so my income at that time was not, it was like hardly anything, but I had also set myself up financially uh, to live below my means. So it's just, mm-hmm. it didn't, you know, I wasn't doing extremely well, but I also didn't have these, like, I hadn't had the lifestyle creep at that point, you know, that I had to deal with it. And plus it's just, it's like a hamster wheel when you're in it. Like, I don't know if at that time I thought about like, I should not do this. I should do something else. There was nothing else available to do. So it's just like, <laughs> you go to work every right. day, try to help people. So it was just hanging on. It wasn't thriving. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of building going on, you know, like mm-hmm. um, it was surviving, not thriving. And then, so, so you made it through that working for this woman. Yeah. Um, and then where did, and then at some point you merged with your dad or you took, you bought his business or? Yeah, no. And so then I became an employee of that firm and, okay. um, and the model there is that they sort of, that, so that was where I worked in 2007. When I came down, somebody retired and they said, we will, um, we need help on the 
employer sponsored books. So you basically, that's your job. Like you go out and do the employer sponsored. If you can get any clients on your own, like great, do that. And then I realized that I have the skill set to do So I would partner with people like, Hey, can I do the financial plan? Can I, so I learned in during, after that kind of got out of that, I started learning, studying retirement income and like how retirement income, um, the newer kind of thoughts and processes about that after what had happened and how things had changed and how that was something that, um, you know, it's not the accumulation phase, but the distribution phase. So I started studying that and learning about that and then helping other advisors. So I'd sit and kind of um, a pair planning role, maybe mm -hmm. I was an advisor, but when I look back, I was technically learning how to be an advisor. Right. Um, yep. There wasn't a training program. It wasn't a large firm. So I would just sit with people and then they would cut me in on some of the clients. I had very few clients of my own. I would get okay. a few every now and then. And I had children quickly after that. And so it's sometimes I think that that was sort of a lost decade in terms of like growth period, because the industry at the time was not really like favorable and friendly to mothers. And I didn't mm -hmm. know how to be a working mother. And um, so that was just sort of, a, again, just like a, I worked out some situations where, hey, can I work kind of to help you on this case? I'll do all of this. Yep. You can kind of give me the minimal. It was not a growth period. It was just okay. like a Like a, a learning, like a yep. foundation. You were putting together a foundation. Yeah, um, it was like a true um, kind of apprenticeship mm -hmm. where I realized my strength at that time would be to learn and understand. If I could sit in as many client meetings as possible and watch the experienced seasoned advisor um, how they interact with the client, what they did, and how they did financial planning, then I could go back and do, also, I could work the technology. So okay. I would say, hey, gather all this information. I will do the input, and I will create the retirement plan. And so, yeah, no, absolutely. Because I, I will say that I do think with the industry, which is interesting is, as we both have the CFP, and you learn a lot. It's, it's very hard exam. Um, and you learn a lot. And we have to have a lot of designations. But you learn... I would say the most in client meetings. Oh yeah, you gotta get a lot of reps. And that's what yeah. I say, like anything that you can do, if you wanna be an advisor, get in client meetings, sit in client meetings, take notes, like you have gotta get a lot of reps because it's learning how to be an advisor is a very nuanced difference than what you learn in a book. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because these past few months I've been prioritizing my health as I've recovered from a nasty case of long haul COVID. I love that it takes the mental work out of getting my vitamins and supplements in because with just one scoop of AG1, you're getting 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, and probiotics. It's been super simple to incorporate into my morning routine because there's virtually no prep required and it tastes great. Plus, it's way cheaper than a fancy coffee habit. If you want to give it a try, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah, I agree. And so now after that, so you had that like foundation, like starting with her, moving over, being the employee sponsored, sitting in being semi-paraplanner and then getting those fundamentals. And then 
because you have a very big business, the group business. <laughs> so how did you get there? So uh, once again, we went through like a triggering event where the big employer sponsor case that I worked on just went out to bid and that we were not going to be involved in it anymore. So at that point, it was like, okay, uh -oh. um, yeah, another situation that went away. And so at that point, I was ready to kind of go out and get more clients and develop that. And and my dad at the time, I was like, let me buy this off of you, kind of what's left and see what I can make of it. And mm -hmm. so there was other partners in the, in the business, but I purchased a book of business and made a business plan essentially to take that and make it more of an, uh, take kind of what the context that we had from the institutional employer side and make it more of a traditional wealth management firm. Okay. And I had studied the industry a little bit at that point of how to do that. And when you bought the book and the book was predominantly from your dad or his other partners? Predominantly from his dad. The other partners okay. were not selling. They were okay. not interested. And, and it was, it is, looks nothing like the business that we have today. So I'm cautious to, you know, how I describe it because it was, you know, things were changing in the marketplace and a lot of these employer sponsored plans that used to have advisors, like I said, you'd go out and you would service mm -hmm. them, but yeah, it was shifting away from that to a more online tech platform. And that was happening the entire time slowly that I was there. Um, so I purchased some of the um, like contacts and some of those relationships and then converted it over into what it is today, which is a more of a traditional wealth management firm. And then how long, when you're, when you purchased it from your dad, was your dad like, okay, I'm retired or he still had other clients? Yeah. So that was in 2017. So, um, at that point I said, oh, you, okay, it was in 2017. Oh, I didn't realize that for some reason I thought it was longer ago. Mm -mm. We lost the, the case in 2016. Okay. Uh, so we sort of had a triggering event where like something yeah. had to change yeah. and, he was like, eh, I don't really, you know, he, he was at a point in his career where he was like, you know, and I was at a point where I, at my career, where I was like ready. I put in the, you know, they say 10,000 hours. Yeah. An expert. Yes. I was ready. I had the interest, like kind of the entrepreneurial like spirit in me was really, um, my kids were a little bit older and like self-sufficient. And I feel like my energy, I was like regaining some of my energy and I started to study like um, I started listening to all the kids' podcasts and studying people in our mm -hmm. industry that were very successful and like what they had done and I became a student of the industry for a little bit you know before I did this and I'm like okay I this is what I want to do business plan I approached him with it he's like okay he worked part-time for three years okay but he handled none of the it all became the management um, all of a sudden I had to switch from just being an advisor and leading up into that point, I had started getting my own clients and, mm -hmm. you know, was leading a lot of meetings, but then I became the business owner. And so Which, as we know, is a very different role. <laughs> yeah. So being a business owner, being a practitioner of anything is mm -hmm. just separate. So at that point I did that and was still meeting the clients, but I became the business owner. And then within the first 10 months of that, um, the business partner and I shared like staff. We kind of had a firm. We did have a firm. So we had okay. our name, we shared space, we shared staff, we shared um, everything, marketing. Uh, he decided he was going to leave. So he left. Was this like a, where I'm going to leave in six months or was this like a more abrupt trigger 
another yeah. triggering event. <laughs> so the office building sold. And ah, so okay. in November, the office building sold and he was supposed to be looking for a new location and he instead was looking for a new RA. And so within a 10 day period, I found out we're going to be office homeless. We, our brand was no longer valid because it was like last name and last name. And I couldn't afford the staff as they were at that point because half of the revenue for the staff. Right, you got, was, yeah, you could be like, I can do 50%. Yeah. Um, so that all happened within a 10 day period. Um, Gee, that's in that's as a business owner, that's a lot to happen. And I feel like we might have similar luck. I feel like my luck is when it rains, it pour, it's like a tornado. Like it doesn't, I don't get like drizzles or like a quick storm. Like when things go wrong in my life, it's like full on. That sounds yeah. very similar. That was like everything that probably could have gone wrong, went wrong in the 10 day. Yeah. Span. Yeah, totally. And it was, it was right. It was at November. So before right year Christmas. and before yeah. year end, which in our business is a very important yeah. busy business, time of the year. Year end is important. And then like Christmas is like the super, if you celebrate Christmas, like the Super Bowl for mothers, you've got to like. Oh, I didn't think about that from a mother's standpoint. I was oh just thinking like, it, like R&D, tax harvesting, making sure your client's accounts are prepared for the year to end. Well, you also have to create the magic that is like, you know. That is Santa Claus. Well, that is everything, you know, yeah. like all of it. Yeah. Um, so we moved into a temporary office space the, the Saturday before Christmas um, in 2017. We uh, fire, I had to fire everybody. I mean, I was the one that had to do it, except for one person who I had hired when I came on. Um, because the business partner just was like, peace, see you later. This is your problem. Yeah. Did you ever have words with that person? Did you ever say what? I mean, not maybe not worth it, but that's a really terrible thing to do to leave you with the responsibility of letting everyone go before a holiday. When he, he felt was bad. He turned white as a ghost when he told me. But you know what? I think that was, there's some writing on the wall sometimes that it would have, like, I think eventually we would have, probably gone different ways and it mm -hmm. was an amicable uh split but that okay. was ripping off the band-aid yeah so which there is the benefits to doing it all at correct. once correct and that motivated me inspired me and I, I can't it was Claire Kurtz who works for me now is my chief of staff but at that time it was she and I and I said you know like I kind of told her I was like listen like we got to start over like are you with me and she so she and I together so I had her as a support system mm -hmm. and we kind of went through, through that together and it's like going through the trenches with somebody you very much and you have a choice to decide to build something the way you want to build it you know you hire the people that you want to hire is this saying that I think guided me through that time it's like not what got you here is not going to get you there mm-hmm and so what got us to that point was no longer going to take us into the future. And sometimes it is hard to realize that when you're in the daily repeat, grind, mm -hmm. repeat, grind, repeat. And so when you're forced with fresh eyes, because the situation is one of a crisis, you know, mm -hmm. it sounds like a strong word, but when you have a triggering event, you are then forced to do that. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely like crying in the bathtub, like <laughs> Sarah McLaughlin on, um, you know. Uh, there like, would, if it was me, there would be a lot of tears. My first couple of years in business were brutal. We didn't, 
lose our office, we lost our lease. We could have renewed the lease, but it was a very, it wasn't, I would, would be happy to be the one who owned the lease. I didn't want to be the lease. I didn't want to be leasing with that lease. It just was very prohibitive and, and potentially very costly. So I did a whole bunch of things in like a 24 month period, but not in 10 days. And I found it to be overwhelming in a 24 month period. Yeah. Well, that was when I found out the information. Yeah. So okay. then it took like, you know, it, it was a trying time too. Um, also had a very huge business plan. From buying the book, right? Yeah, I am one who also bought from my father. And so I had a, um, I, I still have for a, another 10 years, a very big loan. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he, uh, my dad is from the Bronx. He's, uh, parents are immigrants. So there was no, you know, the deal was I bought a business. That was my deal. No one, he had no one to buy a business from. Um, so I definitely paid a higher multiple yeah. than anyone I've ever heard. And everyone told me I was like significantly overpaid. And my dad stands by the fact that I, he gave me a deal. And I'm like, I've never met anybody who agrees with you. And he's like, it's a hundred percent. It's a deal. Yeah, um, I, well, same. That's another topic for another day. Yeah. Um, well, and if, you know, the, the same reason that our fathers probably raised us to be successful was because they're not going to cut corners. They were not going to cut corners. Right us like or sugarcoat it or make it easy it is what it is and you're gonna have to do it and if you don't succeed then you weren't what I was told was if you don't like it or you think it's too hard then you're not cut out to be an entrepreneur and you should sell it now and go be an employee because obviously you can't handle it was one evening with my father and I was just like and he was like and there will be no more crying I want to see no more tears like don't come to me crying anymore because I cried a lot in the beginning that being said we're talking about like how hard this is but I do think that this is a fantastic and I, it, your level of hard depends on your situation um yeah not everybody has these ex experiences but I do think it's a great industry for women and highly recommended as a career path and I and I think you and I are both unicorns there's not a lot of I think we both still qualify as young younger women in the industry it's still a yeah. predominantly male field with only yes. like somewhere between 15 and 20% being female and they don't even have the age demographics on that 15 to 20%. So I would have to guess if it was 20, 10 or probably over 55 and the other 10% are under 55, right? Yeah, Barbara, we should get those demographics. We are unicorns. Thank you. I like that. Yeah. Well, no one's logging the data and I'm a big data. We have data on everything, right? Like, yeah. go get that data. We need someone to get the data for board. Well, but the tough thing is the CFP board has people that are certified. So that is one that step. Yeah. People who are running a successful business is a different metric. Um, yes. Yeah. Based on what's out there. Yeah. yeah there's, was, there's no data. Yeah. I was because, yeah, you can... a young thing recently. And I'm oh, like, right. This nice. is the only industry for women where you can be young for so long. because You can be young until you're 50. We're young things when we hit. And then we hit 50 and we're like, well, now we're the average. Now we're yeah. average age. Um, yeah. So we have a long time to be young, but I do think it's a great business for women. You don't, as you said, we are small business owners, which throws a whole nother love level of difficulty and hardship. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity, but it it's two, we're we're doing two things. We're running a small business, which is for anyone who's done it. Doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's hard, which is why most small businesses fail and most don't make it five years. Um, and then you're also being a practitioner, which also statistically is hard. And I think the statistics on starting out as a financial advisor, the majority of people also fail 
in that. So like you're taking two things that are notoriously hard, but you don't have to be a business owner to be a financial advisor. You can just. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And I think people are realizing that, that that's a separate skill set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody, the old model that you and I probably grew up in or learned was like, you got to eat what you kill. So you mm-hmm. got to learn how to go get business and be a financial advisor. But back then, you know, the complexity of what you had to deal with. And now I think financial advisors come into the industry, you can plug in with a larger organization and learn to be a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be so adept and like, um, you know, it's not just investments, it's not selling products, it's advice in behavioral finance and taxes and um, all risk management, all the components, right? Mm-hmm. And then dealing with people that, you know, people are hungry for good financial advice. Absolutely. And so why do you think, I have my reasons why I think this is a great career path for women. Why do you think it's a great career path for women? One, I think women are well-suited, right? Because this involves a, a complex level of thinking that it's part art and part science. And women are excellent in that arena. And also you have to understand somebody's specific money goals, money, story, money, background of why I think that we do. And then you have to help them bridge that gap between what will get them to their goal Mm -hmm. and what they're coming into in what their relationship with money is. Right. So Mm -hmm. women are going to take that extra listen and that extra filter. So I think women are well suited for it. I think that's no secret. The industry is kind of, you know, coming to about that. But also I think that it is good for women in the fact that if you do become an entrepreneur, you set your own terms. Mm-hmm. So and, as like having you have children, so having children, do you think it's a good, it's particularly, do you think it's easier maybe as a working mother with this type of business versus yeah. maybe corporate America? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it depends on how you approach it to, you know, if you grind it out and build your business kind of when they're younger then you can be around a little bit more. So d- different terms of that. And also you can you can choose. If you want to be um, very successful and work part-time, That's you can do that. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to be, you know, running the business and working all the time, you can choose to do that too. And I think there's more flexibility, right? So I do try to plan my work around my kids' activities, you know, um, mm-hmm. so I can be at, whatever XYZ program situation that they have. So I think it is good in, in that way. Um, also think it's fulfilling. I think women want to do something that's mm-hmm. meaningful. And so I think this is a very rewarding career. It's hard in that way because women become emotionally involved and your clients become, um, you know, their heartaches are your heartaches, their joys are your, you know, so you sort of shoulder some of that as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's great. Career yeah, I, I agree. I think that women, um, from what I've seen, really want to have a career where they have impact. And this is one where you can have huge, tangible impact. And I also like that it can be flexible because I feel like I hear all the time of women going, they have kids and they realize their existing career path isn't going to be suitable because they want to have more time, right? They want to be able to go to the dance recital or the soccer game or the PTA meeting and their existing role is like very firm of like, these are the hours, there isn't any flexibility. So I always hear a lot of women being like, I'm going to go into real estate, unlimited income, flexible hours. And I'm like, why not personal finance, unlimited income, flexible hours. And the path to success, I think 
is a little a little bit easier because it's not as it's not transactional and you can build a recurring yeah. revenue business and you could say I'm comfortable with 100 100,000 of income or I'm comfortable with 150 or 200 or 250 or however hard you want to work depending on the income level that you want and the lifestyle you want you can do it versus in my opinion I'm not in real estate obviously but it's not recurring in real estate you have to sell another house to get another check yeah and it's not as flexible. I mean, how like anyone who's ever bought a house, why does that always happen at 930 at night when it's like whatever yeah. that contract is due? Like I have a good friend who's a realtor and like she walked into an event. And she's like, I didn't bring my phone. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Cause it's like every real estate yeah. seems like this like tantalizing, like it seems flexible. Mm -hmm. Like, is it really? I don't know. No, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it. And also people always want to see houses on Saturday and Sundays. Sunday. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yeah, because at least with ours, yes, do we work in the evening? Sometimes, absolutely, if you want to see you have to work. But the market is only open for a set period yeah, of times, and it's not on weekends ever. Yeah. And then, like, you know, for years, I've tried not to see clients on Fridays. Like, I really don't work on Fridays that much. Um, it's funny. Ironically, this Friday I am because it's the end of the year, and I'm delivering a financial plan, and, like, I want to, you know. But I also want to disappear for a little bit at the end of the year, and my kids are off. Well, yeah, I agree. I like the flexibility. And it and I think it's like anything in life, it's realistic, right? So if you're in a building phase of your business, it's not going to be as flexible. But once again, that's up to you, whether you're building or you're kind of cruising. Um, so totally determined by you. So what are your future goals for the business? Ooh, um, I would like to have a wider reach in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, the thing about a wealth management is people have to have some financial complexities or some you know, even though we offer financial planning for a fee, so sometimes DIYers will come to us for just like a well check or a validation, but generally you have to have some outlay. And I want to help people understand money at the beginning. You know, I really mm -hmm. desire for people to have a greater financial wellness. And so I'd like to do wider reach. Um, I had also, I've written a children's book. So oh, fun. It's, yeah, it's not, um, fully published yet but it's um, in progress so I want children to understand money a little differently so I would say my goals for the business would include um, just some kind of different endeavors to reach more people so I'm going to ask you I like to always wrap it up with what your favorite um, book ideally personal finance or entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur I'll, I'll say but don't say your children's book because we'll already link that when it comes out so any Don't like not your we'll link your your children's book because I think that's great. But okay. so another favorite book like that you maybe used um, to like further your knowledge of personal finance or entrepreneurship or business ownership. Do you have like a go to book? Yes, or podcast? I have like um, there are a few. Okay, so I thought about this a little bit ahead of time. So I would say if you're thinking like as a practitioner but you want to be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. um, the E Myth is a must read. I'm just looking. I'm I I'm like, sure I have, yeah, I have the E-Myth, but it's on my other, <laughs> my other yeah, bookshelf. The e okay, I have that. Um, and also another one that I think is fantastic is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, I don't have that one. Okay. War of Art. Okay. That is like a must. And then I think a really good, the most recent kind of anyone can read book. It's like great. Just about money um, is The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Great read. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Cause money ties in so much to psychology. I don't think yeah. Yeah, people so realize that, it. Um, anyone that's an advisor should read that. Anyone that's not an advisor should read that because I really like the the way that, and there's some good concrete examples 
Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no other thing in life that you can be good at or knock it out. That's not based on um, education or skill. It's purely behavioral. And so they talk about it in a way that has some great examples. Um, And then also I do want to mention, I had a friend who wrote a book. If you're interested in becoming a financial advisor, the financial advisor field guide by Rob. It's great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that there isn't enough information on what you need to do to be an advisor and other people's experience. You can learn a lot by what other people have done and what worked for them on how they grow their practice, how they hire, how they get into it, how they find a specialty. Um, so that's fantastic. Yeah. So those are my go-tos. Perfect. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I hope you have a great rest of the year. And to all your listeners, thank you for listening. And it's nice to um, speak with you today. Yes. And for all of our lovely listeners, you can find our most up-to-date information on Instagram at the Future Rich Podcast. And we will be sure to link Charlotte's information and her firm information. And you were also, was it Investopedia's top? Oh, yeah. 100 financial advisors for 2022. Yeah. Yeah, for 2022. So we'll link that as well. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.